Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. Trauma. Even the word trauma is traumatic for me. Something I never thought that I would face in parenthood before landing this gig of special needs medical parenting was so much trauma. One thing after the next, just waiting for the next shoe to drop. According to the American Psychological Association, Trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, rape, or natural disaster. Upon further Googling, I learned that there are so many different types of trauma. There's acute trauma, complex trauma, chronic trauma. And I'm no psychiatrist or psychologist or counselor to sit here and say, Susan, you have chronic trauma. But I can tell you, I'm a mom who faces so much every day so much pain so much life or death so much trauma hey everybody welcome back to when autumn comes this is diane i'm here with susan and we today are talking about trauma Susan just came off of a multiple week pick you stay uh, with Lorelai, and we just thought it was fitting, something we thought all of you could relate to. So here we go. We're going to dive into it. We were talking the other day about how in the, in the ICU, like you're going and going and going, and you're trying so hard to like keep a positive face about everything and make sure that your kid is doing as well as can be. And this was actually the first time that we were inpatient, not not just the ICU, but inpatient. And my kid was healthy. Lorelai had to have um, unexpected brain surgery twice. And we went in for a routine doctor's appointment. And in one breath, they said, the good news is, is that Benji's being discharged, but the bad news is, is that Lorelai needs brain surgery immediately. Whew, talk about talk a whirlwind, about right? Just straight up drama, <laughs> trauma, and maybe a little drama. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I have felt a lot of highs and lows with this whole medical mom gig, but that was the most high and low in one sentence. Yeah, I mean, more so than our like official diagnosis when that conversation. But to hear that your one kid is being discharged from their services and the other kid needs brain surgery, 
Um, well, and can yeah, we it really back up because I feel like it was maybe last December that you were questioning whether her shunt was functioning properly and you just kept getting told like, yeah, it's fine. It's great. And she has had like a doozy of a year. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I just feel like that kind of piles on top of it too. Like you're like, oh my gosh, here's so much more crap to pile on it with. Did I trust myself? Did I not push hard enough? And so there is a lot of questions of, should we have caught this? Should we have advocated harder? Should we have, I don't know, bought a CT machine and done CTs ourselves? I don't know. I hear they're very expensive though. So that's, that's really, really not an option. Of, yeah, not an option. Yeah. So my kid had so much fluid in her head that they could not believe she was functioning. And I've been spending the last two months in therapy trying to process disease progression for my child and what this looks like and what this means. And I, you know, part of today's conversation is the fact that this is all so chronic for us. It's never ending. And one day we're talking about disease progression. The next day I find out, surprise, it may not be disease progression, but she needs brain surgery. Like, and I mean, brain surgery was bad. It went poorly the first time we found a golf ball size abscess in her neck. And they told us because of that infection, she needed to be in the ICU with an external drain for 14 days. And I immediately started crying, not because of the procedure. I know Laurel, I can handle it, but because how do I do this with two medical kids and how like the emotions that flood over is like, oh my gosh, how can I be in two places at one time, including the ICU? So that must have been so hard. And can we talk about too, like how many of us feel like we get through one door and we immediately walk into another closed door and then we open it and we immediately, like that's how I always visualize it because it's just like this never ending. I don't want to say beat down because that's not probably the right terminology, but I just feel like there's always a trip up. You know, you feel like you get through one thing and it you if you look too far ahead, it gets exhausting knowing that there will always be something waiting for you. And that's a lot of our realities um, that you can't, just stop. Like there are times that you can rest, but you cannot stop. And you know, it will, whether you're advocating for, you know, services in school or advocating in, you know, the pick you for your child or whoever against these professionals that like, there will always just be something waiting for you um, to have to push through. And that's exhausting thinking about. Well, and handing your kid off for surgery and hearing all of like the you know, risk factors and everything. And then them coming out 20 minutes later and saying, okay, so we can't do the surgery. We're going to switch it to a different surgery. And then you're going to have surgery again in two weeks, assuming everything goes well. If it doesn't go well, it could be longer. You could be here through Thanksgiving, through Christmas. Like we'll have that conversation as we go. So you're faced with, okay, be positive right now. But again, more crap is Mm. coming. And my kids never follow rules. No, they don't. Like, Her kids don't. They're so naughty. <laughs> medical, they're medical naughty kids. But I went through the 14 days in the NICU or the PICU sitting and waiting. And one of our doctors, the uh, pain management and palliative care doctor, who is actually going to be on our podcast soon, 
Um, I'm very excited about that. I was texting with her and I was like, I don't know why I just feel like I'm going to throw up. Everything is go like, she's okay. Like we are doing okay right now. And she said, you feel like you're going to throw up because things never go okay for you. You're just waiting for Lorelai's body to flip out. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't. And guys, it didn't surprisingly. Like I was waiting for my kid to get COVID and us to never leave the ICU because that's how trauma works. And I feel like you just wait for the shoe to drop. You do. You have triggers from not Mm. having triggers. (laughs) When the triggers don't happen, you get triggers. (laughs) Yep. And it's, it's, I don't know. I sometimes feel like a pessimist. Like I know in a future podcast, we're going to talk about like the person that we felt like we were prior to having medical Mm -hmm. kids to the people we are now. And I know that I'm like, I was never a pessimist. I am such a realist now that almost turns into pessimism because I'm like, to protect my heart and protect myself, I have to think of all the options, just or not even options, but all the possibilities and scenarios just so I'm prepared. And, you know, everyone, I'm sure all of you can attest are like, they'll be fine. Oh, don't worry. Don't try not to. And it's like, thank you. I appreciate your input and your solidarity. But I have to think about that because I cannot be blindsided because I still have to show up for my children on the daily, put on a brave face so they can move forward with what they're going to have to tackle. All while my heart is like shattering for them in a million pieces because I'm watching my child get wheeled into brain surgery or an MRI or anything. It's just so heavy all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think you have to keep your pieces together. And so for the part of the month that I spent in the ICU, like I was just going and going and going and running on adrenaline and ordering a lot of takeout, even though like we haven't had takeout in like eight months because my husband's very COVID concerned. Um, so I finally got my fix of takeout. Chipotle. But uh, hey, Chipotle is the only thing we eat around here for takeout. Because Michael can reheat it um, and it still has its like good Chipotle flavor. But I, anyway, it's, it's that's Chipotle never waits in the fridge for me. I'm like, I'm not eating this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, I eat the whole thing. Off topic. Moving um, on. <laughs> anyway, but I felt like I was going, going, going. And then we got discharged because things actually went okay. We were discharged a week prior to what they predicted. And that never happens. So we get home. My husband is thrilled. We're home. He said he felt like it was Christmas morning. And he just felt so much comfort from us all being home together because it was the first time in almost three weeks that we were all in the same house. We all slept under the same roof. One of us wasn't on that terrible, terrible, terrible thing in the PICU. I mean, I'm pretty sure like jail prisoners have better pillows and cots yeah. than what I slept and on. I'm- no offense. To our hospital because they are lovely, lovely. but the pillows there, come on. Oh, you, yeah. Anyway, my point being that like he just like felt so much better, like he could breathe once we were all home. But then when I got home, that's when things started to fall apart for me. And I think it was because I was going and going and going. And then when I was home, it was like, we're here, everything went okay. I don't know what to do now. I haven't cried in three weeks. I cried the day the surgery went poorly 
but I didn't cry the rest of the time. And I just like shattered. Mm -hmm. I cried myself to sleep several nights, the first few nights we were home. And my, my poor husband just didn't get it. And I was like, look, I just need space right now. And I just need to feel these feels because I haven't felt them. I haven't processed any part of this Mm -hmm. in the last three weeks. Well, and I often wonder if like there's, they, and this is generalizing men and women, but I know that my husband often, uh, you know, of course I view it as like, he might not actually digest the information. He just is like, oh, okay. And takes it as it comes and moves on. I feel like I hear so much stuff when we get told, whether we're at the hospital or wherever, at the doctor and you get told it and then you just keep plowing through. You keep planning, like we're planners, mm-hmm. but we all, I feel like as most women have so much more emotion attached to it. And I mean, I think there's something to be said for maternal instinct. Like there is something that we carry that is different than men. I mean, I respect my husband and know and respect the place that he has as a dad with our kids, but you do, you kind of collapse, you process it, you let yourself go to scary places. It's like just to move, be able to move on and to not have like another 18 pounds on your back. Like you almost have to process it and let that go so you can move forward. And I feel like a lot of times you know, speaking for my husband, he doesn't necessarily do that. And so there is such a huge span of how you you process it and grieve yeah. versus your husband. And it is hard. I mean, do you feel like you need space when, when you're grieving? Like even if it has to do with your children? I think I do because a lot of the people around me, my mom, my husband, even some of my friends are fixers. And it's a moment where something can't be mm-hmm. fixed. I need to feel all of this because I go numb. I'm in work mode when we're inpatient. Mm-hmm. I go numb to my emotions because I only worry about my kids' emotions yep. when we're inpatient. Yep. And so when I'm home and I'm grieving, like I need my space so that I can, there's nothing that can fix my situation. There's no cure for the emotional baggage that comes with an incurable disease. Right. Yeah, I feel you. And I'm sure a lot of other people can too. I I feel like I need my space too. We're going to take a quick Zach Morris style timeout. Are you a mama who is a medical mom, a hospital mom, or a special needs mom? Whatever label you use, we're all in this together. And we have a community called the 4AM Mom Club. Because let's be real, we're all awake all night worrying about our kids. But sometimes we all need to get together and support each other, laugh together, cry together, drink wine together, I don't know, talk about organizing our house together, things like that. Join our club. We're really cool. We have a lot of really cool moms. I I don't know what else to tell you. You got to join our club. So go to www.whenautumncomes.com and at the very top, you'll see something called the 4AM Mom Club. Click on that, fill out the form and join us. It is a $20 joining fee that we're waiving until March, which is pretty cool. But the fee, get this, the fee goes directly back to the moms. We're using this fee to help other moms when they are struggling or they need that extra boost or their kids have a transplant coming or they just are stuck in a hospital indefinitely and they need a meal that is not hospital food. We've all been there. We get it. So we're here. Let's join the club. Come on, guys. Join the club. Have fun with us. Join the club. Zach Morris style. Time in. We mentioned triggers earlier. Let's go back to that. What what triggers you through the 
chronic trauma that we are constantly facing? Anytime. So like I said in our previous episode, we drive like an hour and a half down to Mayo and Rochester, Minnesota. So like we have our general care up here and then we go down to your specialist and we do that like once a year. That's where she got her diagnosis. And anytime, like we prep, so I have to prep for my other kids, you know, who's watching them and food and whatever. Anytime we prep, I start to get this like unsettled, naughty stomach. And it just, like, I, I just want to crawl out of my skin. It's just such an uncomfortable feeling. Um, and then when we drive into the parking ramp, is a huge one. The parking garage gets me, not anymore. When we were doing our Lorelai 77-day NICU stay, after the discharge and we went back, the first month or two, we'd go back for appointments. Every time I'd pull into that parking garage, like you could feel the anxiety. My chest was tight. My heart was mm-hmm. racing. Pushing the button for the ticket, I was like... <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, the parking garage, me too. I have this, Keep going. No, Sorry. it's okay. I have a sense of calm when I walk into the hospital because it's a place like I've never experienced in terms of like the care that they give. I mean, it is like a well-oiled machine. Somebody walks into that room, they walk out, they don't leave you to sit and churn and, you know, feel too much. There's like a child life specialist there giving your child toys and then comes in the anesthesiologist and then comes in this person. And everybody seems to know who your child is. So like if you go to a different department, they're like, oh yes, we just talked with so-and-so. So that's super comforting when you're there. But another trigger is you know, you know, good things happen in that place. Yes. But bad things happen yes. too. And so the, the smell of the foaming hand sanitizer gets me every dang time. It's awful. <laughs> like when you walk in the building and you have to hand sanitize, mm-hmm. then you walk into the next room and you have to hand yep. sanitize. Every every time. In the NICU, for me, it was the baby wipes oh, because yeah. they use the same brand baby wipe or whatever. We When we go to outpatient clinics, of course, my kid poops every time we have an appointment. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Like I have to give you a suppository every day. But when we go to an outpatient clinic, you decide to poop it's everywhere. Naughty. And of course... I own, I'm like down to one wipe every time. So they then kindly hand me a pack of wipes that smell because they're the same ones. They smell exactly like the NICU and it triggers so much mm-hmm. for me. The good news is, is that the hospital we use, they stopped using that brand of <laughs> Yay! baby wipes. So, I know, right? I was so excited when we had this NICU stay. I was like, are these new wipes? And they're like, oh yeah, we don't use those other ones anymore. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. We can keep coming here. Okay, so question. I don't want to keep going. I have a question. Is there anything that Lorelai, specifically Lorelai, because she has been the one with more of the medical complex issues thus far, is there anything that she does that kind of makes you stand back and say, oh my gosh, what's, what's happening? Yes. There's so many things and it just depends on the day. So like, coming out of, and it depends on what her current issue mm-hmm. is because we just had brain surgery twice. So now we're looking at everything from a more neurological perspective. We also increased her pain meds when we were in the ICU. So signs of shunt failure are vomiting, excessive sleepiness, fussiness. Well, here's the thing. Signs of recovering from brain surgery twice are also <laughs> sleepiness, fussiness, um, Lorelai vomits all the time anyway. So like the last couple of days, Mike and I 
can't figure out why she's sleeping so much. And you know, sleeping is also what Mito kids do when they have mm-hmm. bad days. So yes, there are things she does. Um, her nystagmus sometimes is worse and I like freak out like, oh my gosh, is it the shot? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's just, it depends on and the is day. It hard to say less, but today was so crabby. I mean, oh my gosh. I looked at her and she screamed at me. And those are the days where I'm kind of like, what's wrong with you? And I have to sit back and think, okay, I have really crabby and bad days. Like you are, you're guaranteed that. And yet you just can't say, mom, you're bugging me so bad. And it's really hard when they can't communicate any of that. But Or Lorelai, who apparently had two months of a head flooded with excess fluids. I've been saying all this time, like all of her doctors were saying it's disease progression. And for two months, she's had a massive headache and has felt like crap. Poor thing. And I know you and I talked a lot through this because that's when the 4am mom club started because she was up screaming at 4am every day. I mean, I would too, if I had a massive headache because my head was full of excess Mm -hmm. fluids. And it's hard, right? Because then we take on the baggage. We feel guilty when we were like, go to sleep or I am going to lose it on you. I used some more four-letter words in that sentence than you just said. I know. I do too. I do too. So what about like Google trauma? Oh, do you... I can't... Tell me about your Google (laughs) habits. Well, it really depends on how bad my personal anxiety is at the time. (laughs) I... um. You know, because Sayla is so unique, I I can't really Google anything specifically to her. So then I put it on myself. So my Google habits are usually within myself where it's like, oh my gosh, I think this or I think that. So they have toned down a little bit, but I found in the very beginning they were quite bad, even though people were like, don't Google, don't Google. And I know often even you, I'm like, would you like me to Google for you? And I'll just tell, tell you and you're like, no, don't do it. When I was pumping and I was convinced I had breast cancer (laughs) and it was like a massively clogged duct that like would not come out, I was texting you saying, okay, can you Google all of these symptoms for me? And really, I mean, if somebody saw our text messages, they'd probably be like, who, as I'm describing like the clogged duct in my left breast, but they essentially are at this point with us having a podcast together. (laughs) Right, right. It's, this is it's so, pretty much an insight into our texting. Oh, yeah. So Google, I feel like I am now a little bit more self-aware to where I know, not take it with a grain of salt, but like, okay, step back and take a freaking breath because it's not going to do you any good. Um, but in that and, sorry, I'm interrupting real no. quick. That and initially, it wasn't just Google for me. It was I joined like mito yes, groups and stuff. Yes. And in the first month that I joined, all these people were like, my baby passed in his sleep last yeah. night. He has his angel wings now. And I'm like, WTF. Yeah. So I had to get out of a lot of those groups or silence them so that I only saw them when I went and looked for information mm-hmm. because the trauma of seeing another name pop up saying that their baby passed overnight or whatever it was. It's just devastating. It is. And it made it to the point where I'd have anxiety just from seeing comments on Facebook. I know that I have 
often felt like that just because Sela doesn't fit into the norm. And it's like, where do I fit in and how can I connect with people without being absolutely flooded with fear and anxiety through the connections? Because I mean, she likely, you know, as far as we know at this point should not really be here, you know, and that's utterly crushing and terrifying. And my heart goes out to all of the parents that have lost their children because it's, you know, it, it's just devastating. However, when you still have your child here, you almost have to put on a little bit of shield to that because I wouldn't be able to get out of bed knowing what was in front of me. And I'm, you know, now moving it back to you, like you have a very real life experience and all the feelings of kind of, I know you've talked about it as like watching your life play out in a movie when you hear specific stories and that, that let's talk about trauma there. I, I think, so Lorelai almost died in Florida. We live in Virginia. We went to Florida for vacation, a work for me vacation then in the second part. And we ended up, Lorelai caught the flu and ended up spending three-ish weeks, almost four weeks in the ICU dying. And I said goodbye to my kid many times. And I mean, it got to the point, I don't know if I've said this in a, I don't know if I've told you or if I talked about it in the last podcast, but I mean, it got to the point where we were talking about how to get our body home. Um, so now every time I see a UPS truck, <laughs> sorry, UPS, do you know you can ship a person's body? Uh, like that's how far we got. Oh my gosh. With the whole thing. So now every time I see, I, I was going to opt for FedEx because I felt like it might have been a little classier. You like the green and blue or purple? What is it? Green and purple? Yeah, I don't, the branding <laughs> is a little better than the brown. So I just, you know, it's just constant, I think, because every time someone gets a head cold around me or every time I hear, every time I have a sniffle myself, I am concerned. The anxiety goes up. I've convinced myself like 127 times that I have COVID and that me having COVID or a normal head cold is going to kill my children together at the same time. That's super real. I mean, that is very real for you. Yeah. Yeah. And And isolating, I'm sure. It is, but I know that I'm not alone because I've connected with other families, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Just like all of the trauma that we all face, it's really, I mean, it's chronic. It's never ending. It's something that you take with one day at a time. Yep. I don't really know where I'm going with that because in my head, I'm visualizing my kid in the ICU at Arnold Palmer intubated. And like it just, I mean, it stops me in my tracks every time. And I think a lot of trauma just no matter where you were, whether you were in the ICU, watching your child essentially fail on a ventilator, whether you were sitting in that hospital room waiting for the doctor to come in and then hearing that your child just may not be quite right. It just is a blow every single time. And I feel like there's just grief that comes along with it because it never goes away. And there's always stuff that will bubble back up and the feelings bubble back up. And how do you manage that on the daily, you know, like, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things we had planned to talk about was coping Mm -hmm. and what we do to cope with the chronic traumas and the chronic stressors. 
when you and I talked before we started recording, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I am fresh out of trauma last week and I'm still trying to process other than eating candy, <laughs> copious amounts of candy corn. It's not candy corn season anymore, y'all. I bought a two pound bag of candy corn as like my emergency candy stash. <laughs> so I hate candy other corn. than stuffing my face with sugar, how do I cope? Because I'm at the point right now where my husband is forcing me off the couch to go for a run because I'm still coming down from all of the trauma of last week, last month. And he's saying, go for a walk, get out of the house. And I don't really want to yet. And I think that's okay. I think it, you know, like we all have a certain degree of self-awareness. And I think that I've tried multiple coping mechanisms. I think that I have tried drinking wine. I think I have tried eating sugar or salty snacks. I have tried exercising. I have tried many of things. I think like the more that I'm into this, I realize what helps. And then I give myself grace for the times that I do maybe drink a little too much wine, knowing that that's not the right answer, but sometimes it just feels good to do. I feel like lately I've really, and like, God bless the people around me, my village, my friends. Like, I think lately I've taken out, I mean, they essentially sit in the back car of my roller coaster and I just bring them on the ride with me. And it's not fair, but you know, when I have, when I am processing things, they get some of the worst parts of me. And I'm just so appreciative and thankful for those people in my life that do have that compassion and understanding and are willing to take on some of the hurt that I feel. Or just listen. Or just listen. Yeah. But like, I know that I'm lashing out because I'm uncomfortable or I'm trying to process something or it's a little too much. So, you know, I'm either irritated or frustrated or I'm distant, you know, and they just kind of sit around and wait and listen and then are always like right in front of me with open arms when I'm ready. And everyone, like you said, always wants, we all, I think, want to be fixers. You don't want to see somebody in pain. You want to be that person that's able to console them because it's painful to watch somebody go through that. But it's really special when somebody knows how to respond to you when you don't even really know what you need. Yep. I think right now my coping is... (laughs) getting really irritated with people, specifically probably my mother, um, who is just always shows up on the daily, you know? So yeah. What about you? Besides candy corn and that better have peanuts in it because otherwise that's nasty. Ooh, candy corn with peanuts. Yeah. It's like a salted nut roll. That's a thing. What? (laughs) You guys can't see our faces right now, but (laughs) that's like a straight up salted nut roll. The only way to eat candy corn. Try it. That sounds awful. It's so good. We're going to make, maybe make a little. Okay. So something I've been working on to handle, and I don't know if this is really answering the question of how are we handling chronic trauma, but something that I do is, can you guys hear Benji? (laughs) He's downstairs shrieking. (laughs) As I'm talking about chronic trauma, my heart's starting to race because my kid's downstairs (laughs) shrieking. So I've been working with my therapist a lot on taking my trauma and thinking about like the bad stuff because inevitably it's hard when someone says, don't think about that. It's not going to happen. 
And I have to think about it. It helps. I don't know if it helps me, but I do think about it. So sitting there saying, don't think about it is just going to make it worse for me because then I'm going to beat myself down every time I find myself thinking about my kid intubated in the ICU. So what has helped me is to spend, if I'm spending five minutes thinking about the bad, I need to spend five minutes or more thinking about the good. So getting through this last ICU stay for brain surgery times two, I would come home and they all kept telling me to do self-care. Well, let's be real. I'm not going to spend 24 hours in the ICU and then come home for my night shift with my son and then like paint my nails or take a shower with essential oils. And can we pause? I'm not going to do it. Like, do we, do any of us know, especially during COVID times, what that means? Like, everyone's like, what do you do for self-care? Uh, it's like crickets. I don't know. I mean, take a shower. So my self-care was putting up the Christmas tree. Yes. And my self-care was decorating my house because when Lorelai came home, which I was convinced she was coming home, when Lorelai was going to come home from that hospital, I wanted our house to look like the North freaking pole. So I love that she knows that because Sayla would just not even have a clue. I mean, I don't know if she knows it. She knows what twinkle lights are though, and she likes to stare at them. So it made my heart happy to know that when she came home... It was going to look like an elf had run through our house and put up a nine foot Christmas tree that let me tell you, I had to bend the top down <laughs> so that it would not, it, it scratched the ceiling. It was so tall. So I have uh, memories. <laughs> I, that's what I did. That was my self care was coming home and I was doing it for me, but I was also doing it for my kid. I, going back, I, if I spend time going through trauma, if I spend time thinking about the bad stuff, I try to make myself think about or do the positives of making memories or thinking about memories or thinking about the excitement that's coming uh, for the same amount of time. That's a really good one. Because it's only fair. Like, if why am I going to sit here and think about all the bad stuff and then not think of the other side of the coin? That is so... I love that. It's only fair. Because that's, it's a really great point, and I think it's a really good tool for everyone to be able to use. I always try and, you know, it's so cliche, um, but I always try and just find gratitude in the smallest mm-hmm. things. Like it's what really helps me try and turn my mind around. If I'm having a really hard day with Sayla, like she can, she can be really hard some days, whether she's crying or just doesn't know what she wants and can't communicate. I don't really know what it is, but it's like, instead of being self-serving, she was put here for me to take care of. And if I can Mm -hmm. take my focus off of myself and like how awful it is and how I wish I could just have a moment to myself or take a shower by myself or not hear my kid screaming at me at 3.30 in the morning, if I can put that out and just give it back to her, it sometimes helps me. But I also think just acknowledging that like giving yourself grace in those times where you're like, sorry, I can't do that because I am so upset. I'm so tired. I'm so beat down. Whatever it might be, you know, eat the candy corn and drink the wine, but always know what's healthy and what's not healthy and what's pushing you forward and not pushing you forward, you know? So to wrap up, we want to hear how you guys are facing your traumas on the daily because we know like 
It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, special needs, medical, parenting of any sort. It's chronic. It's long-term. So how do you do it? I sit here and think like the conversation we just had revolved a lot around how our kids are very unique and how our diagnosis is kind of rare. But I also think this 150% applies to people who have typical, in air quotes that you can't see me doing, typical special needs kids, whether that's Down syndrome or autism or whatever the typical thing is, we all have chronic trauma and chronic events that we face. So how do you do it? What is your thing? Do you do self-care? Do you run a mile? Do you eat copious amounts of candy corn? Not with peanuts because that's weird. It's not. So we'll leave that open in the comments. We want to hear from you guys and tell us all of it. Tell us the good, the bad, the ugly, and maybe and if you what jump, your triggers are. Yeah. What? And if you jump over to the 4AM Mom Club community, we actually are going to have this open there to talk about with the group and the listeners and everybody who has joined uh, that community. And you can find that on Facebook or Instagram. Or on our website, whenautumncomes.com. Mm-hmm. So this is Susan. And I am grateful that you are here, but I need to go find batteries for my new wireless keyboard. Yes. And this is Diane. And I still have got to go look for somebody to take care of Sayla while she's out of school. Yeah, because you don't want her dumping any more hot chocolate on your golden doodle. Oh my gosh, you guys. No. We got to go, guys. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things that get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.